Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 27, volume 27, week 27, number fucking 27. How you going guys? How's your week been? Hope you're good. Hope you've had a great week. So, we've got all the Mosh news, we've got Mosh reviews, and our Mosh interview is with Brandon of Incendiary. All of that is coming up in the show. So let's kick things off like we always do, and that's with Mosh News. This week, we had a new song released by Jesus Peace, and the song is called Neuro Prison, and it comes off their debut album, Only Self, which is released August 24th through Southern Lord Records. Jesus Peace are definitely one of the most hyped bands at the moment, and they're a very abrasive hardcore band and this song just further intensifies and shows the promise this band has. It's going to be really interesting to hear what this debut album sounds like overall, but we have another song. It's called Neuro Prison. Make sure you check that out. We had a new song from French slash Japanese guys, Rise of the North Star. The song's called Here Comes the Boom. And it's through Nuclear Blast Records. Rise of the North Star, as I said, are half French, half Japanese. And they do a crossover sound that is hardcore meets metalcore. Really interesting band. They have a very interesting imagery. And the music is definitely one that sticks to their own style. They're very hard to pigeonhole. But this song has its moments, it feels okay, I'll be interested to hear the album when it is released, so that song called Here Comes the Boom, it's from Rise of the North Star. We had a new song from Born of Osiris, and the song is called Silence the Echo, and it's out through Sumerian Records. Now Born of Osiris are a band who a lot of people say have distanced themselves from their core sound, well this song is back into that core sound. I really enjoyed it. Something about Born of Osiris I've always enjoyed. And this song just seems very intense. It's very angry. It's very genty in parts, but it's still very metalcore in parts. Really excited about this song. I'm really excited to hopefully know more about what it might come from. We think this will be from their upcoming album and hopefully we'll have more details soon. So that song is called Silence the Echo and it is from Born of Osiris. We had another new song from Silent Planet this week. The song is called Vanity of Sleep and it's released by Solid State Records. Now we've already heard some of the new Silent Planet music over the last few weeks and that stuff I was really excited about. Unfortunately for me, Vanity of Sleep didn't really do anything for me. It felt a bit too much like it was trying to be accessible. It felt a bit too poppy didn't really sit well with me unfortunately maybe it's just one of those songs on the album that you might not quite connect with hopefully this isn't a sign of what the whole album will sound like hopefully it will sound more like what we've already heard but it is worth checking out the song is called vanity of sleep and it is by silent planet melbourne brutal boys whoretopsy have announced their new album will be called take my breath away And they unleashed a new music video for the song In Like Flynn. Now, Hortopsy are that band that are slam death metal. Always entertaining with their music and always entertaining with their artwork. And the artwork for the album is still as entertaining as you'd expect. 
Now, the song itself, In Like Flynn, didn't really do a lot for me, unfortunately. It doesn't feel like it's the strongest we've heard whore topsy. Hopefully, it's not what they believe is the strongest cut off that album. I am going to be very interested to hear this album when it's released in September. So, check out that video in Like Flynn and check out the artwork for the album called Take My Breath Away. British boys Lotus Eater have signed to Hopeless Records and to coincide with that news, they released a music video for their song Break It. Now, in Australia, a lot of people hype Alpha Wolf and it's understandable. Now, a band, if you're hyping and loving Alpha Wolf, who aren't from Australia, is Lotus Eater. You really need to give these guys a chance and really delve into them. If you love your Alpha Wolf, you'll love Lotus Eater. Really exciting band. They merge and mix that metalcore, deathcore, and new metal sound very seamlessly. It's very moshy. Really quite exciting. They're a band that's been around for a while now. I caught on to them when I was in the UK and heard their EP. So hopefully this song, Break It, will come from a forthcoming album. So Lotus Eater, sign to Hopeless Records and make sure you check out that song, Break It. This week we also got a new music video from CKY for their song, Wiping Off the Dead, from their recent album, The Phoenix. We got a new song from Deicide's upcoming album, The Overtures of Blasphemy, which comes out in September. We got to hear their new song, Excommunicated. Sounds savage, sounds like the death metal icons are back in form. We got a new music video from Decapitated for their song, Kill the Cult, which is off their last and most recent album, Anti-Cult. We got a new music video from New Zealand hot up-and-coming band Alien Weaponry for their song Whispers. Wisdom in Chains dropped a new music video for their track Already Dead. Now the last bit of news this week is British band Exemption have unleashed a music video for a new song called Separation From Self. Now, Exemption are a band who've been around for a couple of years. They've already got an EP under their belt. Looks like there's a new EP or album on the way. And to simply say their style is beat down hardcore. Think Malevance meets Terror. It's really in your face, very solid, very well-rounded. And they're a very young band coming out of England with a lot of promise. Now, I really heavily recommend you give this a go. If you like your hardcore, if you like your beatdown, if you like your breakdowns that really slam in your face, make sure you give Exemption a shot and make sure you check out that video for Separation From Self. So that's it for the Mosh News this week. Now, if you want to check out any of those songs or artworks or albums we've mentioned, make sure you're jumping on our website and our social medias. We always update our social medias and websites on the regular we give you the information and details when we know it if you want to get on the social medias we are on facebook instagram and twitter and all of those are at the mosh zone if you want to check out the website that is www.themoshzone.com and when you're on the website make sure you're subscribing to the website now to do that when you get on the website you'll be prompted with a little box that says enter your email address. 
you enter your email address, you'll be sent an email notification when any new article, new piece of information, new podcast, new music video, new tour, new album, any of that is announced on the website, you will get an email to make sure you never miss out on the information. It's now time for Mosh Reviews. First album up this week is the new album by Wisdom in Chains called Nothing in Nature Respects Weakness. Out now on Fast Break Records and Demons Run Amok Entertainment. This is the seventh album by Wisdom in Chains and this finds the band in their finest form. This is a band that have got better and better with each release. And on their seventh album, they have certainly delivered a stellar album. This album's 13 tracks, and it is a hardcore sound that is propelled by a punk rock influence. They have an ability to mix these two styles, these two genres, and make it their own. It sounds refreshing, and it sounds unique. Being 13 tracks, sometimes you can get worried that there's maybe a bit too much music there. But with Wisdom in Chains, each song is independent from each other. Each song has its own identity on this album. Wisdom in Chains are a hardcore band, like I said, with the punk rock influence. The thing about Wisdom in Chains is they maintain what this music should be. This music is all about keeping your head high. It's all about having a good time and it's all about leaving feeling better about yourself. Despite all the shit that goes on in life, you need to still stand strong. And that's what these songs are all about. They're about life's pitfalls, hardships, and about taking a positive change forward and smashing through those walls that come up against you. Like I said, every song's a bit different from each other, and there is. There's fast, brutal, hardcore punk anthems. Then there's some very street punk songs. You've got guitar riffs that go from very melodic sounding to very heavy chug sounding. You've got infectious bass lines. You've got thumping, pummeling drums. And you've got vocals that just stick in your head. Whether it's the lines being spat at you or it's the choruses that uplift you, it all stays with you. The other thing on this album is there is a sense of sludge. There are songs that are a bit slower and a bit more heartfelt in a way. Songs like Truce, which is about alcohol abuse and the strain it can put on life. There is the melodic punk sounds on songs like Turn My Back and Better Than I Was. And then there is big, punchy, fist-pumping anthems like songs Duck Down, Stay Down and songs like Heart of a Champion. This album is for fans of hardcore. This album is for fans of punk rock. This is for fans of the catchy anthems. This is for fans of the oi sound. This is for fans of Madball, Rancid, Propagandy, Sick of It All, all of these kind of bands. If you're into those, you will love this album. I really, really enjoyed it. And since I've been listening to it for the last couple of weeks, I keep going back to it. I can't get enough. There's so many outstanding songs on here, and like I said, everything feels different. It's non-stop entertainment for me. Really, really good album. Now, the album I am talking about is Nothing in Nature Respects Weakness. It is by Wisdom in Chains. It is out now, and we do give it 
an 8 and a half out of 10. Next album up for review this week is the new album by The Agony Scene titled Tormentor, out now on Outloop Records. So it's been about a decade since The Agony Scene disbanded and there's been a few shows here and there and there's always been rumours of a new album coming and finally this year we get that album and it is their fourth full-length album and as I said it's titled Tormentor. What you got here is an outstanding release from the agony scene. You've got a band that, even though they've taken so much time off, they've come back sounding so refreshed, so re-energized, and so fucking pissed off. It is amazing. The band are showing unstoppable energy and an unstoppable assault with massive, furious riffage And every song, the riffs seem to get faster and faster and angrier with each moment. They just build and build. There's a sense of tension and aggression that just keeps going with each song. And the moment you get that stop between tracks, smashes you straight in the face again with the next song. And that pattern goes on for the entire 10 tracks of this release. One thing they've done with this album is they've always been known as a metalcore band. Now, they still have that element in their sound, but they've now thrown in sexy dashes of thrash and black metal. So you've taken that metalcore sound and thrown this stuff on top. And what you got here is just something that's intense. I can't get that point across enough. It is so intense. They've also made sure by changing their sound slightly that they're relevant they haven't just done a comeback album that sticks to what they've done they've shown that there is a future for this band and that they're ready to give this another go while in parts you can say this album isn't groundbreaking and in some ways it does follow well-worn paths of other bands this is such an interesting and exciting mixture they've done and it is refreshing to what a lot of these core bands do nowadays and it's different and it's so good to see this band back. Hopefully now this won't be the only thing we'll hear from the Agony scene. They are touring America at the moment and hopefully we'll get another album in a couple of years but if this album is anything to go off they should stick around. This is for fans of the Agony scene. This is for fans of abrasive aggressive metalcore this is for fans of the riff whatever happened to the band in the last decade and whatever they've gone through it clearly has reignited the fire and the passion and what has resulted is like I said unexpectedly amazing and a great comeback album and really impressive and one that you need to get your hands on the album I am talking about is Tormentor. It is by the Agony Scene. It is out now on Outloop Records and we do give it a 9 out of 10. Our last album up for review this week is the new album by Greyhaven called Empty Black, out now. First things first, what do Greyhaven sound like? Well, I don't think they sound like just one band. I think they sound like their own band. There are a lot of influences these guys have. There's everything from Every Time I Die, to Norma Jean, to Deftones, to Dillinger Escape Plan, to Cancer Bats. There is so much going on here. 
Now, when I say that these are bands that they can sound like, I think Greyhaven sound very different and very refreshing in a scene where everything is oversaturated and sounding too familiar. Greyhaven have a way to be powerful and punchy, emotive and thoughtful. Everything you need by a band is in this album. Now, they have this ability to go chaotic and abrasive and all over the shop, but they then can dial it down and make it very emotive and very thoughtful. This is, shockingly to me, I think my favourite album of this year. There's been a lot of albums I've liked, but I think this is my favourite album of the year. This is a band that feel like there's no glass ceiling to them. I don't think there's any limit on where this band can go, not only with their music, but with their success. I think this should be everyone's favourite band of 2018, without a doubt. You have lyrics that are interpersonal, political and intellectual, that have an ability to hit your head, heart and soul. They have a way of writing lyrics that are very reminiscent of Every Time I Die. Lyrics that are very much full of depth. There is so much in those lyrics. Lyrics like, I gave myself to the earth, I am reborn in the ashes. So much going on with the lyrics. Musically, it is so well done. People will say it's metalcore, but I think it's just a progressive sound of hardcore punk. There is so much. There is melodic guitar tones. There's abrasive, razor-sharp, tooth-grinding guitar riffs. There's beating, pommeling drums that have amazing drum fills, but then they can strip back and be very simplified to go with the song. Everything in this works well. Another thing about this album that works so well is the production. It's not overly polished, but it's not garage sounding. They have an ability to make sure that when it needs to sound large, it sounds large, but when it needs that chaotic, gritty sound, it still has it. And the other thing is the vocals in such a band like this can get lost in the mix, but they're not. They're in the mix right, and they don't overpower the music as well. I think one of the reasons this album really blew me away and stood out is that very rarely do I come across an album that really floors me and keeps my interest. Now, albums do floor me and keep my interest, but the way this was is every time I went back in, I heard something different in the music. I found something different in the lyrics. Every listen, there was a new favorite song on the album. It was like, oh, I love track four. Oh, well, now I love track seven. There is so much going on in this album. Greyhaven covers so much musical ground on this album, and it's so amazing to find a band like this in 2018. They're a band that clearly love what they do, and they love what heavy music is. They are making all of these influences their own and they're still managing through all of this hectic and noise and chaos still have something to say, something meaningful. It's got so much personality, it's got so much power, it's got so much emotion and they've created a recipe for success. I think this should be everyone's favourite band of this year. I think this should be everyone's favourite album of this year. It is amazing. I cannot say that enough. This is fucking amazing. Tantalising, teasing, 
tremendous. This is for fans of Norma Jean, Every Time I Die, Cancer Bats, Dillinger Escape Plan. This is for fans of chaotic hardcore that has a sense of melody and purpose. This should be your favorite album of the year. You need this fucking album this year. Listen to this. If you're going to listen to one album all year that I've reviewed, this should be your album. The album I am talking about is Empty Black. It is by Greyhaven, and we do give it a 10 out of 10. So that's it for the Mosh Reviews this week. We are done and dusted. What did you think of our reviews? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love your feedback. Are you in a band? Have you got an album or an EP coming out? Get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Now, if you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. You can get in touch through our social medias. They're all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can get in touch through the website, which is www.themoshzone.com. Get in touch. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. It's now time for our Mosh interview of the week. To say I was excited about this is an understatement. I am a massive fan of this man and this band. I'm talking about Brendan of Incendiary. Great opportunity for the show and a great opportunity for me to get to know all about him and all about the band. Great chat and awesome that he was able to put aside some time for the Mosh Zone. That chat is coming up now. So, um, yeah, so what age... Or do you remember when you kind of discovered music uh, of any style? Um, let me see. So um, I remember some of the early albums that I used to get. Um, well, I should let me back up here. I think like for me, the kind of interesting and a little bit different, whereas I kind of got more, I got into music playing it almost before listening to it. So when I was younger, um, my next door neighbor had a drum set and like, I thought it was basically the coolest thing in the world. And so, um, I always wanted to play the drums. And when I was a kid, like in, you know, young, like fourth and fifth grade, I, my mom got me like a snare drum in the basement and I used to just like smash on a snare drum and just like, like literally just a snare drum, like a marching band snare drum. Um, and so I always like was very into the drums for as long as I could remember, um, and then, God, what, what are some of the first things I got? My, some of my early favorites were like, I loved Bush. I still do. Actually, a lot of these bands I still like, I remember getting, uh, the Bush record when it came out and like, I don't even know what that is. 1993, maybe. I don't know when 16 stone came out. Um, yeah, I think it was and then getting some, 95. 95. Okay. Yeah. So I probably got into some stuff a little bit before that. Um, I definitely remember getting like stopping at rest stops, like when my family would go on like car vacation trips and buying stuff. I remember getting like an, an early like Red Hot Chili Peppers mixtape, like like on like a, like a cassette tape. And then I remember being into like some of the old U2 albums. Like, I mean, this is going back like a ways. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so I got into a lot of stuff through my sisters, actually. I have 
I have two older sisters. One is nine years older and one is uh, five years older. So I think a lot of my early influences, if you can have an influence being like a, a kid, would be some of the stuff that they showed me. So you, you said how you had the snare drum in the house. And then when did you start taking drumming seriously? So I, let me think. Uh, I started playing drums in like in school in like the sixth grade. So I guess I would have been like, um, God, I don't even know what the sixth grade is anymore. I guess it's probably like 12 or 13. Yeah. Um, so I started playing the drums then and then I got a drum set. I want to say like maybe around 13 or 14 or 15. And I played the drums both in school and at home sort of consistently through um, for the next however long, however many years. So did you have a, was your family very musical or was it just something that you were doing off your own intuition? Uh, no, my, my family was really musical. So my mother's side of the family, my grandfather um, was one of those guys who was like kind of like almost like a virtuoso type of musician, like would literally be able to like pick up, say, a trumpet and be like mess around with it for like 20 minutes and then be like, oh, I got this and like play a song and stuff like that. Like I uh, played everything, the accordion, the guitar, everything. Um, and then uh, my mom's uncle owns a music store in Brooklyn um, where he gave lessons and stuff. And it's been there for like 50 years or something. And then uh, my sisters always grew up like a, singing in um, in musicals and choirs and things like that. So we always had music on in, in the house and Irish music on, on on Sundays after church and stuff like that. <laughs> Very Irish Catholic. So then the drumming's kind of starting you off. And then is that what kind of led you to, I wouldn't say hardcore, but like at that period it was probably something heavier. Was Was it drums that brought you into a heavier style of music? That's exactly what happened yeah i mean like it started off for me i remember hearing like uh, um pennywise mm. and being like in middle school and being like how can this guy play so fast <laughs> like legit being like this is so sick and like getting into all like the faster like punk stuff and just being like sitting in the basement like trying to play at, like a punk beat that fast so i got totally into like punk you know you know, punk, like not the casualties, but like punk of my age range. So like, you know, the no effects and Pennywise, I was obsessed with Pennywise. They were my favorite band. Um, and then, and a lot of the fast stuff like that. And then kind of two things happened in tandem. One, I started to kind of like mill, mill my way around like local shows. There was a, uh, like a basement venue down the block from my house that, like I kind of literally stumbled around when I was like riding my bike around and heard bands playing. And so that happened sort of at the same time as um, one of the first hardcore bands I got into was Strife. Ooh. And I got into that in like a total poser way where I bought a Strife shirt because like it had a sick like live shot on the back, um, like an In This Defiance era live shot. And I had never heard them ever wow, and i bought the shirt school. because i was like this is a sick shirt and then i remember even being like 13 or 14 being like 
damn, this is kind of a poser move. I should check out the <laughs> band. And so I remember when I was, I was at, I was in New York city, actually like in Manhattan visiting my sister with my mom and I, we were at a record store and I was like, I'm going to, I got to buy this strife record because like someone's going to call me out on this stuff. And then I heard strife and was kind of blown away with it. And so that was probably, I guess I had to be like 97 or 98 or something like that. And that's when I, my first sort of foray into hardcore was from, from strife and then from the local bands that were playing hardcore music in on Long Island. So how was it growing up in Long Island as a, alternative punk kid was it kind of accepted or was it still a bit underground and kind of not looked at nicely yeah i mean i always say that like i'm so jealous of kids now or i shouldn't say kids but just younger people now who like have like their whole social circle and stuff growing up in high school and stuff was you know hardcore and like having friends from other schools when i was going to shows and I'm, I'm really dating myself here, but like, obviously there, there wasn't the internet, there was no mm. social media. And I mean, there was the internet ish, but not, I wasn't really a part of it. Um, and then at my school for whatever reason, there wasn't a ton of people into hardcore. I did have like, I would say two or three kids, um, who I grew up kind of going to shows with and who were like tangentially into it, some more than others. And, Almost all of them I'm actually still friends with to this day, but I was always just kind of into it. And, you know, people I, I knew who else was kind of like, you know, would give the head nod in the hallway and would see it shows. But it wasn't I always say this, like I know people now that I've been friends with for years that like I remember at shows but I never said anything to them for years, right? Because I, I don't know if it was just me, but I wasn't the kind of person to be like, hey, I'm Brendan, nice to meet you. Like, I, <laughs> I wouldn't talk to them. And there was no, like, I'm going to add you on social media. Like, it was just, I know that kid, you know what I mean? Like, I, my friend Anthony and my friend Mookie, like, I saw so many kids that I'm still friends with. Like, I've seen them at shows since I was in middle school, but I never said anything to them because they went to a different high school and, you know, I don't know. I don't know them, so... I always thought that was kind of funny. I think that's that that's how it was before the internet days. That's what used to make it actually exciting, I think. It was that Yeah, absolutely. And it was like your town and your school was like your world. Mm. Right? Especially before you could drive. Like I didn't my the I went to shows with the same two or three people and the that's were my friends that were into like going to see shows and that's it. There were other people from other schools, but I didn't know them, and I didn't exactly go out of my way to like introduce myself, and that's just kind of how it was. Now, you're in the scene at this stage. You're still in high school. When did you start drumming for a band? Like, When did you start getting into that? Yeah, so I started like playing in bands, I would say, I guess later than most people. Like, I feel like you hear people putting out these seminal albums and they're like, yeah, they were 16. Like the bands that I was in when <laughs> I was 17 and 18 were like absolutely terrible. Um, so yeah, I guess probably junior and senior year of high school is when I started to try to start bands. And I had like a punk ish type band, uh, junior and senior year of high school. That was really, really fun. We were called the unthinkables and it was like punk and like the guitar player, like really wanted to, like he was super into the Descendants, 
And um, I remember that we would like do uh, we would play clean sheets by the Descendants, Ooh. and then they would all I would also make them play Force of Change by Strife. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> like people like super not into it. Yeah, so like I was like the aggro drummer dude. Um, but yeah, I actually just remembered that like we would do both of those covers in the same set. So. Uh, that gives you an idea how good our band was. <laughs> and you, did you keep playing drums for a lot of years? Like, oh, when when was the transition to starting Incendiary? Like, what? When yeah, was the so transition? Incendiary basically killed my drumming. I always say, like, so <laughs> I, I that was my drumming was everything. Um, I went away to college uh, where I uh, still played the drums. I brought my drums with me. I was in two bands in college, um, and then. When I moved back to New York, I moved to New York City and I was sort of the only one out of my friends who were moved to the city at the time. Everybody else was still kind of on Long Island and um, I was like driving back and I knew I wanted to do a band because it was kind of like I'm finally back like on Long Island and have like my friends that I want to do something with. And the truth be told, the the only reason... I sing and incendiary was because I was like, this is going to be a total pain in the ass to bring my drums like an hour back and forth. Uh, so I'd rather just start a band and me be the singer so I can just kind of drive from the city and not have to unload my drums. And that's truthfully what happened. Uh, so we started like after, um, in 2007, we started, uh, with just some of my friends and we knew kind of like the vibe we were going for. And then, um, I was just decided to, be kind of like I was like I'm gonna try singing I had like messed around in some friends bands and stuff but nothing real that was like my first sort of foray into trying to figure out vocals so going into suddenly doing vocals did you I mean your your style is something that's unique and I mean that in a good way when it comes to hardcore because um it's it's not yelling it's not screaming you know it's kind of it's a it's a bit of everything now, did you aim to go for a certain style when you started, like, or is it just like, let's just see what happens? No, a hundred. I I was absolutely going for like the standard, like brutal, like wannabe Scott Vogel style of singing, and I was not able to pull it off. I would blow out my voice constantly, and actually, Travis, my friend Travis, um, who sings in This Is Hell. I was like talking to him one day and he was like, dude, just like scream, like stop trying to like sound like something. And I was like, okay. Um, and that's, you know, I was just trying to sort of be my natural self. And that's really, I, I can credit him for just kind of being like, stop trying to pose on some, like, you know, emulate somebody and just, just do you. Um, and that's what I did. Did you take lessons or did you, because you were saying you were blowing your voice out, so was it something that you kind of built up the vocal muscles as you went along or? Uh, I don't know if I ever built up those vocal muscles because <laughs> I lose my voice all the time. Um, yeah, I mean, I honestly, man, I, I get this question all the time and I I really, I have taken vocal, vocal lessons, but only like a year or two ago. Oh. Um, no, I, I, I really didn't. I just was screaming really loud and would lose my voice often to be perfectly honest with you there's no magic secret i mean obviously doing this for 10 years i've got find you know better ways to be proper with my breathing techniques and 
working on some things and working on how I want to sound both live and on record and trying to have those two sort of come together. But, but no, I, um, I didn't really have any sort of mastery of it for a long while. And one could argue I still don't. <laughs> well, I mean, how do you cope with blowing out your voice on, on a tour? Like, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, doing no, I know. Or... I mean, um, I've gotten better at, uh, sort of breathing and I do try to warm up. Um, and I have to, what I learned a long time ago is that like, I am not able to participate in like a show that I'm playing. Like I can't sing along really. If I do guest vocals, like I'm, I will completely lose my voice. Uh, sort of like, uh, if I play and then stop and then sing again. So I have a few little idiosyncrasies that I know are what going to give me problems. But, um, by and large, it's, it's been difficult. You know, I, I, I try my best to be, um, to be like strict with certain things and, 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 you know, under the right sort of pretenses. But, um, sometimes, you know, we start ripping some beers after the gig. Uh, it doesn't go so well the next day. <laughs> <laughs> so now incendiary have kicked off in 2007, as you said, and the first thing you guys dropped was amongst the filth, um, yep. the EP. That that was that's very raw sounding. Um, what was that time like for you guys as a band? I mean, were you were you thinking we're going to give this a red hot go, or was it like let's just do something? It, it was the latter, very much so. Like the, I, I would say that we um, we we were never premeditated in what we were doing. I think because the band didn't start with any particular goal. I know a lot of bands say like, yeah, man, like we were just, we just love to jam and stuff, but we really did. My goal when we started, I had one goal. I really wanted to be like a part of the current Long Island scene. That was very important to me because I think growing up, I was, you know, I always wanted to be in a band in high school that like played on Long Island and had like a following. And I never really had that. And so truthfully, the only goal I had was like, I want to be play shows on Long Island and, you know, asked to play local shows a lot. And I think that was our main focus. And I think when we recorded the seven inch, we did it, excuse me, in this dude's basement, um, Phil from Iron Sheik actually. And yeah, it was just sort of a raw effort. We recorded it live. Um, it was fun. I remember just, you know, those are really great times of, just playing any show we could get offered and, and it really just a sense of it not being premeditated, right? Like I think that a lot of bands um, do things that are like, all we want to do is like, we want to tour, right? Like we want to just, we'll get a demo just so we have something to give out and we just want to tour. I would say we were the kind of opposite of that. We, we were just playing and then it was the kind of thing where they'd be like, Hey, we actually like, we got an offer in New Jersey. Do you guys want to drive there? be like yeah sure we'll play new jersey and then that would lead to like hey we got offered like a weekend you want to do massachusetts and then somewhere else and sure we'll figure it out like so it was very much that rather than uh sort of like a planned approach so i mean was uh, you guys have always been like that with touring though is it something that um you guys are just happy you know to have the passion to want to play music it's not you feel the necessary to always be grinding on the road? Yeah, I think it was a product of a few things. I mean, there are a couple aspects. Number one, 
not so much myself, but some of the other guys in the band had been touring in bands a lot and been doing that for a while. And it just sort of by the nature of how things happened, um, when we started incendiary was sort of after people stopped touring a lot, right? Like we weren't, I wasn't 17 when incendiary started. I was 20, I guess, 22, you know what I mean? So to start a band then, not to say that I was old, but the first, you know, uh, five years at least of incendiary was just kind of playing shows and not really having much of a plan. And there the other thing I think was, and again, some bands do this differently and that's totally fine. There wasn't the demand for us to tour. Like it wasn't this kind of thing where we were getting sick offers in 2008 to open up for, you know, Madball, And we were like, nah, I don't think so. Like that, that just wasn't happening. And so I, I guess for whatever, just the combination of sort of slowing down with other members, touring cycles and us kind of some folks getting jobs and stuff. Stuff. Like we didn't have the plan and there wasn't this sort of demand to tour. And I think by the time that um, – sorry, it's kind of a long answer. But no, I think by the time that things started to pick up, now we're like in our late 20s and it, it, it just – it was a weird timing for, for us in a lot of ways. Why do you think – I mean I've, I've, I've read articles where you've said that as well that you feel like some people didn't really care about the band like – during the years of like the crusade um the first album which came out what why do you feel like at that period no one was really giving two fucks but now it seems like everyone's giving a lot of fucks um yeah i i it's a good question i i mean i mean we didn't play that much although i i guess looking back on it we kind of did i would say that you have to remember sort of the time we were really playing like if you look at 2008 we were trying to we were sort of emulating bands like 108 and earth crisis and Snapcase. that was not what was going on in hardcore at that time like at all mm. um you're talking about sort of the tail end of like the melodic fast hardcore sort of style that we were not playing um and so that style of music although extremely popular now um, even more so towards the metal side, right? Like it, it just, it wasn't super in vogue. And I don't think that we resonated with a ton of people early on. Um, it wasn't until we put, once we put out cost of living that that's sort of like looking back on things that were sort of the marker where, uh, things change one, because I, I think it was a better record than crusade, but a lot, it, it seemed to do really, really well. And that's what changed things for our band, I think. Well, do you think during the crusade period, was there ever a thought that maybe maybe we're not doing something right here? Are we doing something that is worth it, our time? Was there ever a period of worry and maybe stopping? I think early on, we, um, we did have some lineup changes. And I think for a while, things were kind of weird. Once we got... Once Brian joined the band, uh, I, things kind of rounded themselves out, and I think it felt a lot more comfortable. I don't think we ever had planned on breaking up. If anything, the, the most like tumultuous periods were within the first year or two, where we just had a lot of lineup changes, and there was a lot of 
sort of like it was just kind of really just everything was a grind to try to keep it going and, and keep practices together, et cetera. But once we got once Brian joined full time, we kind of like suckered him into he was filling in and then he just kind of never left. Um, after that, things were a lot more stable. And although we've had some changes on base, like me, Rob, Dan and Brian have just been on the same page to the nth degree, you know, on pretty much everything. And one, one thing I've noticed with you guys is you also could, this could either be a positive or a negative is that you guys take your time with writing your releases. Um, You're not rushing out every year to year and a half. Do you think that at times could have held you guys back because it was about four years from crusade to cost of living. And then it was about the same till thousand miles stare. Yes. Yeah. I think I do. I think, um, I think that that certainly didn't help. I think that we, we always liked just playing more. Mm. And I think we kind of got, and some bands are the opposite. Some bands just love to write and love to like sit down and jam we've never ever been a band that jams like we're not like hey let's you know let's see what happens in this practice like we do not do that <laughs> we don't we don't do that at all and we just really liked playing and i think like the weekends and days and whatever where our other bands were probably like nah we should like sit around and 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 probably put something together we would just go and play you know what i mean mm-hmm. so um yeah, it, it probably did hurt us looking back on it, but it it did always take a take us sort of like a longer time to write. I think that we always had to be very much um, focused on writing. Our practices are like when we were writing, if someone comes in with a specific thing to work on and we work on it, we, we don't do well just left to our own devices. Um, and for whatever reason, you know, also sort of perfectionist kind of, I think it, it has usually taken us not only a long time between releases, but taking us a long time to literally write the record. Well, I mean, it, it, it being perfectionist means you guys are probably also, you have a tendency to trim the fat more, um, more killer, no filler as the phrase goes. Yeah, th- exactly. It's so funny. Cause like, you know, a common thing with like, some bands is like, yeah, we went into the studio with, you know, sort of 17 tracks and we did and we agreed on 10. <laughs> like a lot of that stuff for us would be like, OK, like, what do you how many songs are you guys doing? We're doing 10 songs. All right. Well, how many guys do you, how many songs do you guys want to record? We're like 10 songs. We literally <laughs> only have 10 songs. Like what we we get asked, like, hey, do you guys have an extra track or something or a B-side you want to release on like a compilation? And we're like, we don't have any extra material whatsoever like everything is just psychotically organized and rigid like we're going to do 10 songs we're going to write 10 songs period now in on the album cost of living and then you're on the same label now thousand mile stare how did you link up with closed casket activities because they, they seem like yeah. a really good record uh, hardcore record for you guys yeah uh, so i this is going back a ways now. We've been with Justin for a while. Um, I can't say enough great things about our entire experience with him. I had been familiar with Closed Casket because they worked on some records that I was a fan of when I was living up up in like New England um, during when I was going to college. And I, I, I distinctly remember 
that uh, how great the artwork was of a lot of the releases that he did. So a lot of just um, attention to detail, really beautiful gatefold records and things like that. And I had always thought he just did a particularly good job with that. And I always remember thinking in the back of my head, and by the way, this is going back like a while, like in the early days of, of his label as well. Um, that, that, you know, like, "Eh, I always thought that'd be kind of a cool spot for us. And I don't remember who initiated the first outreach, but I think it might've been something where like, I heard that he had checked us out and thought it was cool. And I think I might've shot him a note. Um, and, and we talked and we were just sort of on the same page about everything. Um, and we haven't looked back since, you know, we've, we've really enjoyed working with him. Justin has been, you know, uh, not just sort of someone who owns the record label, but a, a, not only a friend, but, um, almost an advisor in some ways. He's a great guy to ping ideas off of. And and so he's been really invaluable, um, during our career. Do you think the label's also been part of the reason why you guys have gained, ever since Cost of Living, a lot of European attention? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that I actually feel like we've grown with his label, right? I, mm. I think Closed Casket has grown at the same kind of clip that we have. And so I'm proud that I, I think we helped Closed Casket grow and I think Closed Casket has helped us grow. Um, and now, I mean, Closed Casket is arguably the premier label in hardcore, at least in the United States. Um, and I think he's done a great job. He's, you know, about to release a vein album that I think is going to be really huge, both for the band and, and for Closed Casket. And so in terms of Europe, I think that he's done a great job as the label's grown to get distribution in Europe and, and, and things have been going really well there. So I couldn't be happier to see, you know, as, as someone who's been on his label now for, geez, dude, I, I don't even, I guess like, we're going on six years, maybe, maybe longer. Um, it's really been really exciting to see his label grow. Now, speaking of Europe, when did when did that all start to take off for you guys? Because hardcore, while it's big in America and always will be, there is always that kind of bigger sense of hardcore in Europe, like France, Germany, England. When did it really take off for you guys? Yeah, well... And yes, it's it's gigantic there. I think um, so. We we have played in the UK a, a decent amount, and that's always been really great for us. Um, I love playing in London, and I love the UK both as a place and a place to play. And that we never we we played the mainland. We did like a smaller tour there in 2012, um, which was cool. Um, but we wasn't like on any kind of a huge sort of stage. Um, and then we just, we, we never just got around to going back, unfortunately. And it was, it was a mistake on our part. And so I think this past year we've been trying to get back as much as possible because to your point or, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful place to play and a huge supporter of hardcore music. And we knew that we wanted to get back there as much as possible. And you're about to head over there soon for, um, the festival part of the year, aren't you? Yeah, so we're doing some shows. Um, uh, I'm leaving a week uh, in a couple of days, actually. 
were flying to Frankfurt, Germany, and playing uh, and starting off in Germany. So looking forward to getting back there. And then we're going actually going back again in uh, November for uh, a festival uh, in Eindhoven in the Netherlands uh, called Sound of Revolution, which is just like a pretty crazy lineup that should be fantastic. Now, before I talk about this latest album, um, which, fuck, yeah, um, epic, is um, how did the Alistair Black link up come up in the wrestling? Oh, yeah. Um, my most asked question. Um, I'm not let surprised. Me think. So, it, it was, it's a trip. It's a trip saying. Oh, yeah. I appreciate it, man. No, it, it, it certainly was. Uh, it was a trip to be a part of. So the, the, the basic story is that um, our friends um, are two, two of the guys write almost all the music for the WWE. And we had known them for a while and been friends. And so one day I got a call and they were like, hey, we, there's this new wrestler for NXT. Um, he, he has kind of more of like, you know, he, he's actually into hardcore in real life. And some of the bands that he listed that were working on for his intro, um, for his entrance theme, rather, um, you know, reminded us of you. Like, do you want to take a crack at like doing the vocals for it? And I was like, yeah, it sounded cool. And so we went to their studio uh, one day and we like we did the whole song in one night. They had. They already had, a, I would say, probably 95% of the music and then some of the vocals, We all, or the lyrics, rather, we all sort of collaborated on. Did the song, um, went through a bunch of revisions with the WWE just because they want things to be like a perfect entrance theme rather than like a song. Um, and it was cool. It came out. It was really cool to see him debut with NXT. And, you know, it was awesome. And then... From there, uh, fast forward a couple months, and I get another call from from John. They're, they're called the CFOs, um, and he was like, "Hey, so you know they're thinking about having you, Code Orange is playing a song at NXT Brooklyn, and they're thinking about having, you know, you guys do the Alistair theme also." And this was like five days, I guess, before the actual event. No, maybe like a week. But but like very soon before the actual event. And I remember being like, I, I'm down, but like, you know, can we make sure that we're going to let's make sure we do it right. Like I, I'm a I need things to be good so I can be confident in it. You know, I don't want to go into something like that half assed. Mm. And so we weren't actually even sure if it was going to happen until a couple days before the actual event. And then we're like, nope. We're, we're good. It's going to, it's going to happen. Code orange is coming into town the night before we went to the studio in Brooklyn. We rehearsed the song code orange, like had it down, like absolutely down. And, uh, we did it. And I, I think it came out pretty good. I was super nervous. Um, it was a very, very bizarre experience, the whole thing. Uh, but it was, it wound up being really cool. And that, do you feel like it's quite the reason such a trip is, um, a hardcore band doing a wrestler's theme. But do you think part of that has been really good for the band because it's brought some crossover fans from wrestling to you guys? I do. Yeah, we definitely noticed. I mean, in terms of timing, it couldn't possibly have been any better because it was right before a record was coming out. So like 
our record had, I think, just came out and then the event happened. So in regard, that was, the timing was amazing, um, just organically. And yeah, we definitely saw like an interest in new fans um, from from the theme and from the the live show that we we did with Alistair. Uh, it was awesome. It was exciting. It was cool to have people who I feel like kind of discovered hardcore, and I'm hoping did a little bit of digging and checked out some other bands. So definitely a, a cool experience and a, and a positive experience for us um, in terms of of gaining some new fans. And as you said, the timing for that album, Thousand Mile Stare, that that album seemed to really just, uh, from an outsider's, it looked like suddenly it picked up so much momentum. Um, fans seemed to be loving it. Critics seemed to be raving about it. Um, I mean, how did that feel? Because you guys, it's not like you haven't been slogging at it for a while. There's a few albums under the belt, and then bang, something is just taken off. Everyone's raving. Yeah, well, I, I it was interesting because I think that for for from Crusade to Cost of Living, there's nothing wrong with Crusade, and I and I think a lot of stuff about Crusade is really awesome. But there were no, there weren't really expectations when we did Cost of Living, and Cost of Living really did again, as I said before, changed a lot of things for Incendiary. And um, the, when we were doing Thousand Miles there, I think that was the first time probably ever where we felt actually like, Oh, I kind of feel a little bit of pressure. Like we, this, the, the last record went over really, really well. We got a lot of feedback on it. That was positive. And so I, I did feel a little bit of, um, you know, like I'm wondering how things were going to be, or, you know, the the classic, like it's not as good as their last, I like their last record better, which you're always going to have people saying that. And, and that's totally fine by the way. But I think we knew kind of what we wanted to do going into it. And, I, I'm I'm thrilled with how it came out. It, I think it's me personally. I think it's by far our best record. I don't. I think some people don't agree with that, which is again totally cool. But uh, I, yeah, I couldn't be happier with how things went, including the you know the experience of recording it and stuff like that. Now with that album, like with all of your albums, I wanted to ask about your lyrical content. I find it um, exciting that there is still someone in hardcore because i think it's getting lost in hardcore to really have lyrics that have a purpose and awareness to them about the world around them social awareness all of this now is that something you kind of went for or is it something you kind of just it happened yeah i think i've um i've I've always, I don't know how not to do that, Mm. right? Like to me, um, when I, the bands that I were interested in when I was growing up and, and the lyrical sort of, or the lyricists that, that sort of resonated with me, that's what hardcore is to me. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, and I get that things, I mean, there was always a strain of hardcore that were more focused on sort of, you know, more violent or tougher things. Um, and like. Um, and like, you know, that, um, that never resonated with me cause that's just not really who I am. You know, I was the, the kind of the hardcore and sort of socio political messaging, whatever that is to me, we're one in this, we're inextricably linked. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that, that's what 
that's what hardcore was to me. If you play in a polka band, you probably sing about drinking beers and stuff, right? Like and <laughs> if you if you are in a hardcore band, that, that's what it is to me, a hardcore punk band. And so I never it wasn't necessarily like a um, a conscious decision. We're not tough guys. I'm from suburbia. Not, I'm not from a hard area of the country. Um, I definitely I think when I was younger, <clears throat> there there were some more of like the relationshipy type things in terms of lyrical content that creeped in that I was, I never really wanted to have much of a focus on. And so it's just sort of a very long winded way of saying that it, it came natural to me that that wasn't so much a premeditated choice as it was kind of just like, this is what came out when I had to start writing lyrics. Are you ever worried that you, you know, that you're never going to have anything to say? Are you ever worried about that? Or are you ever worried that it's going to be taken uh, negatively, you know, because we're full of trolls nowadays. So you worried that you're going to say something? Totally. Going to get um, at? I don't know if I was worried so much about not having anything to say. Um, out of context and stuff is is interesting. Um, that's happened sometimes. You, the lyrics get written and they get put out there in the world. And just like your music, right, you, you don't really have control over that. Um, I knew like I, some of my some of the way that I write things are like in different voices. Like sometimes it's like a call and response where sort of like two people talking. And then, you know, if you take a song like Sell Your Cause on Thousand Mile Stare, which is like a very written almost like sarcastically and and purposefully condescending mm. Um I, I wondered if some people uh, aren't sure if it's sort of like a pro or anti-gun song, which I think is kind of funny. Um, and so in those ways. But, yeah, I mean, like, honestly, dude, you, you could drive yourself crazy worrying about that stuff. Once you put a piece of music or whatever out there in the world, it's it's hard to have control over how it resonates with people. Now, speaking of the world, um, as someone who's – Grown up like myself in a time when there wasn't internet, there wasn't uh, streaming, and all of this stuff. Where, how do you feel about the current music industry as a musician? Do you think we're in a good state, or do you think it's a bit confusing? I think that it's hard for me to speak overly negatively about the internet and its impact on music because we owe so much of our success to to the internet right i mean we've never played australia so the fact that you've even heard of us is is incredible you right need to hurry up, by the like way. i mean i, I think here. that what'd you say you need to hurry up and get down here <laughs> yeah i know i figured that would come up I, I i agree um yeah but i mean like so there's an obvious benefit to it i think one of the challenges um with a lot of artists now is in with the internet in general is just there's there's two things there's information overload at all times and there's what's known as a paralysis of choice right like there's there's so much content music video uh games everything at your fingertips 24 hours a day that it's hard to make a decision about what to do and i think there is a certain amount of you know challenge where i do remember as a young person 
going to the record store, dropping a ridiculous amount of money on a CD. CDs used to be like $18, which is fucking insane if you think about that. Um, And then, you know, being so excited about I remember buying um, albums just because of the cover art. Like literally just because it looks cool in the record store. I remember buying records sight unseen, but only because I saw that bands shouted them out in the liner notes. Right. And like and and this is like typical old guy shit. And I don't want to sound like an old guy because I hate that. But but there is something a little bit lost when music becomes so digestible. Right. Mm. And so I think you take that 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 sort of way of consuming music and one can juxtapose it with now where it's like. Hey, a band's new record is out. It's on Spotify. Stream 40% of the first song. Ah, this is all right. All right. Anyway, you know, go back to listening to fucking Drake or whatever. So, like, there is there is that aspect where it's so accessible and so commoditized that it's, it's hard to get attention. Yeah, it's becoming, um, in many ways, uh, dispensable and throwaway now. The whole element of an album, I feel, is now lost. Um, yeah, you know, you're not the first person to say that. I, and mm. I think some people are, <clears throat> I, I, or first person that I've heard say that rather, cause that came off kind of mean. Um, <laughs> I, I think that some, I think that some, um, bands and artists are thinking about that in a big way. You know, like I don't want to name names, but I know a lot of my peers and people who are really trying to make things happen in their career. Are like, I, I don't know if that makes sense anymore to do. I don't know. I don't know what the future is in terms of how we release music. Is it an LP? Is it, is it, do we, do we release singles? And a lot of that stuff is going to be very, very interesting moving forward. Um, but I agree with you. I, I think that there is still a little bit of an impact of the album, but I wonder how much, uh, shelf life that has left. Yeah. Well, hopefully the EP and the LP still sticks around because, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm still one of those people, probably like yourself. I get excited when a band has a new album. It's like I've got at least ten tracks now I can delve into. So yeah, I but. do too. I think that I, I do think it's somewhat genre yeah. specific, and I can see genres like hip hop sort of really leaning into like releasing singles and 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 small mixtapes and stuff rather than real LPs. I would like to think that like in in hardcore and punk. And underground music, that commodity um, or that type of commodity will stay. But yeah, man, I, I don't know. It's going to be pretty wild to see. Attention is is becoming harder and harder to get. Mm. Now, I've got basically one last question before we'll wrap things up. Sure. And this one's basically, you know, where you see hardcore now. I mean, it's... It, I think it's very exciting now that you've got bands um, of all different styles bringing different influences in. But do you still do you think hardcore still has the same power and meaning that it had from the throwback days? Um, Bit of a loaded a question. Yeah, it is. First and foremost, I, I'll sort of unpack that musically. Anyone who thinks hardcore isn't in a great spot right now is is a complete moron, yeah. right? Some of the, the the amount of good bands playing different kinds of hardcore is just overwhelming. There are so many good bands. And when I say good bands, I mean technically proficient, playing great music, you know, uh, tight, 
interesting like there, there really are an incredible amount of of sort of diverse bands out there right now i think again in large parts of the inter- internet where you can delve into one sub genre of a sub genre and really learn it and, and hone in a craft um while trying to hopefully do something new i do think there are some bands that are emulating bands to the degree where it's almost like ridiculous um where it sounds exactly like the band they're trying to emulate mm. but but by and large yeah i think it really is an interesting time in, in hardcore i think that um you're gonna see a change probably in the next year or two i think that with uh here in the states you know how big sort of metalcore has gotten and that that kind of a revival i think will run for a little bit but i think you'll eventually see other history repeating itself like it always does especially in in this kind of genre um but i think in terms of the impact i i think as long as there are young people that are interested in it hardcore is always going to be a young person's game and one of the things that i learned really quickly is that you can't penalize a young person for being young right like it's not i don't expect like this came up with uh, i'll give you an example this came up in hip-hop there was some rapper that like said that like he didn't like tupac or something like that and people were flipping out and i can understand both sides of it but you're talking about a kid who is 19 or something and Tupac died I think like 20 some odd years ago how could this kid possibly resonate to something like that when he is a young person so you have to be careful not to knock young young people for being young so I think that no matter what that band is and just like for me if 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 that ilk was you know strife and indecision and vision of disorder and 108 and and all these bands that meant so much to me growing up for younger people, it doesn't have to be those bands. It's okay if it's bands that maybe me and you or other people don't have a strong connection with, but I still think there is going to be that sort of visceral connection and an intimate emotional connection to hardcore bands. It just might not be in the way that me and you and older people or, or other people who have been in it a longer time might relate to as well. But for younger younger people, there's always going to be that connection just because the, of the passion that's inherent in the style of music. Oh, spot on. Like, perfect. Like, yeah. Couldn't couldn't agree more, man. That's, yeah. It's like, I, I say, you know, it's like when I was growing up and my old man was really into Eric Clapton and Joe Cocker and it was like, yeah, I'm not really into this. And it's like, I'll want my kid to really like Madball, Terror and Sick of It All and stuff, but probably won't. I mean, yeah, exactly. And and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think like that the, there is nothing worse. And let me tell you something. I just turned 34. So like I'm not saying that I'm super old, but I'm also not 18. And mm. there is nothing worse than the like early. Actually, more so, it's usually the late 20s, like the late 20s kind of over it. Hardcore kid who was never really that into it and was like. Oh yeah, the band. You know, bands aren't as everyone sucks now. The bands aren't as good. It's like that's a ridiculous thing to say. It's it's <laughs> things change. This this music is for young people. Period. Mm. And and things evolve and tastes change. And 
you're you have no reason to relate to the the feeling and raw emotion and a connection that a kid that's 16 years old might have to you know I I don't know any newer band right now and if you don't feel that same connection that's okay it's it's okay to to not have that same connection but it it certainly doesn't mean that the band's playing right now or any any worse or any different oh yeah now gonna wrap things up with my favorite segment i do at the end of every chat and it's called pick your poison so what we're going to do here is we're just going to try and pick your brain a little bit brendan we just want to find out if you are left with two choices you have to pick one for the rest of your life i love it okay i'll do my best now they're not easy now some people think oh this is going to be a breeze no, no way. They they start now, out. Now, do you okay. want explanations or do you just want like the straight answer? It's up to you. You don't have to give okay. an explanation, but explanations are welcome. So, okay, we go straight off with pizza or burger. Oh, pizza! Ooh, yeah, easy all day long. Okay, easy for me. Easy. Yeah, chicken or beef? Uh, chicken. Okay, beer or bourbon? Uh, I got to go beer. It's just way more realistic. Yeah. I can't, <laughs> I can't be drinking whiskey the rest of my life. Yeah. Beach or snow? Uh, I, I got to go beach, I guess. Okay. Cooking or dining out? Oh, God. I love going out to dinner. Dining out. Cinema or couch? Uh, oh, that's a fun word. Cinema. Uh, I hate going to the movies. I never go to the movies. Uh, couch all day long. Um, Terminator or Predator? Damn. <laughs> I think this is like, I actually think this is like a wrong answer, but I, I prefer Predator. Ooh, as in like the first yeah. one or the sequels? I like all of them. They're all stupid oh. and fun. Yeah, I know. I know. I know Terminator is a better movie, but mm. I like, I've seen Predator. Predator. It's the kind of movie that's like it's on TV. You're just going to watch it. Yeah, see, I love the first Predator, and then I tried to rewatch the second one, and I couldn't get through half an hour of it. Just, I don't know. Yeah, prop, it's pretty stupid. Yeah. Okay, that was a good answer. Sly or Arnie? Wait, what? Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger? Oh, man. Mm. Um... I got to go Schwarzenegger. Such an interesting career. The powerlifting, I mean, the bodybuilding stuff is crazy in its own right. Yeah, I'll go Schwarzenegger. Basketball or baseball? Basketball, I hate baseball. Oh, who do you follow? Uh, I mean, I like the Knicks. I, I'm really more of like an American football guy, like the New York Giants. That's kind of really all I pay attention to. And Ooh, then nice. I like rugby, That's, but but I'm not a big baseball guy. Um, Madball or Terra? Oh jeez, uh, I I listen to Terror more than Madball, okay. um, personally. Slayer or Pantera? Oh wow, jeez, uh, oh, this I, I think this is the hardest one. Really? Um, for me, yeah. Slayer or Pantera? Jeez, I gotta go Slayer, but that's that's tough. Now, I've got one here because of your passions. Strife or VOD? Oh, man. Okay, no, that's the hardest one. Jeez, <laughs> um, man. 
I guess I guess I'll have to go VOD. I got to show some hometown pride. Okay, and then there's two left here. CD or vinyl? Uh, okay, this is a weird answer, but I, I'm going to go CD. Ooh. And the reason is because my car, I don't have one of those auxiliary inputs to like connect my Spotify to my car. Mm. I only have a CD player. So I haven't bought a CD in... I, I don't know, 15 years or something. So I, I, I'm listening to 1997 to 2003 era music in my car. So uh, <laughs> any CD, if you ever want me to get to listen to a band, give me a CD and I guarantee I'll <laughs> listen to it in my car. <laughs> Last one, touring or recording? Oh, I hate recording, touring by a mile. Bang. Um, that's that's our chat, Brendan. Fuck. Dude, um, great fucking chat. Like, oh, dude, I, I really appreciated uh, talking to you. It was fun. Um, some of the things that you asked me, I haven't thought about in so long. So it's it just, it's funny too. I don't really do a lot of reflecting, mm. and so I, I really enjoyed thinking about some of those things because I just, I, I don't do a lot of reflecting. So it was a pleasure talking to you. So that was my chat with Brendan of Incendiary, and thank you so much, dude, for taking time out for the Mosh Zone. Really, really appreciate it. Great opportunity to chat to the guy. Also a great chat and another awesome guest on the Mosh Zone. Thank you so much again, dude. Really, really appreciate it. So that is the Mosh Zone episode 27 done for this week. Thank you for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener, Thank you for giving us a go. I hope you come back for future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in to the Mosh Zone. Now, if you've got time this week, guys, please help us out. Please spread the word about the Mosh Zone. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your neighbours. Let everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Also, if you have time, help us out with a share of the podcast on your social medias. And if you have time, and if you're listening on iTunes, please give us a rating and a review. All your help, all the sharing, all of that, we do notice, and we are forever grateful and thankful. So that is it for the show. Have a safe week. We'll see you next week. Open the pitch.